The other kids, they think I'm weird. I don't want to be If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. <laughs> the boys. The boys. After the blood comes the boys. Welcome to Now Playing's Harry Retrospective Series. Sin never dies. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King Movie Series. The children are wandering through the wilderness of sin these days, Mrs. Nell. Hosted by Arnie. They're all gonna laugh at you! Stuart. They're all gonna laugh at you! And Jacob. They're all gonna laugh at you! Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of this series and keep coming back as we continue looking at all the Stephen King-based movies. You'll never forget it. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Why didn't you tell me, Mom? Listener discretion is advised. Ready to dance? Today we're discussing The Rage Carry. <laughs> Starring Emily Burgle, Mina Suvari, Jason Whoa. London, Amy Irving, and directed by Kat Shea. I'm Arnie, the raging host of Now Play. Word! This is Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob, the host whose thoughts always assume the shape of a giant insect. Do people still say word? In 1999, even, yeah, I don't think they were saying word, but she does. I'm just trying to be as cool as Rachel. Hey, I thought this was called Carrie, guys. I thought we were doing the Carrie thing. Who the hell is Rachel? Her half-sister. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we learn quick about Stephen King, is that there is uh, quickly a bastardization of any property, that he has a lot of quote-unquote sequels that he did not pin, did not describe. They're not based. Nothing that we're going to see today is based on what he wrote in his book. They basically just had the rights to the story and made their own thing. But I've done a lot of research. I listened to Cat Shea's commentary on the DVD. I watched the extra scenes and the cut scenes and the alternate ending. I read the wiki page. I even bought a fucking book. And you know what no one can tell me? Why? Why <laughs> 23 years later make a sequel to Carrie? I know that they tried to do it for the 20th anniversary and there were delays, but why do it at all? Well, I think that if there's an answer to that, it's that Carrie was very successful. And obviously you want to make a sequel to anything successful. Not 23 years later, though. I don't think Carrie was on the tips of every person's tongue in 1999. Well, here's what was on their tongue. Scream. I mean, we were in an age in which we were having that whole, let's reevaluate the meanings and the influences of all the 80s slasher movies. And so we were going back and we were seeing these kind of reboots. H2O. I think that's actually the model. Let's dig out that old actress that starred in the Halloween movies, put her in a credible reunion set in a school where she can have teenage screamy sidekicks and see what happens here. I think that they weren't stupid enough to think they had screen here, but I think they thought they could have what they did with the Laurie Strode return in Halloween 7. With Amy Irving. Well, okay, is Amy <laughs> Irving J Jamie Lee Curtis? Sissy Spacek, if they had gotten her, that would be Jamie Lee Curtis. Amy Irving, well, she had been canned by Spielberg as his wife. She had nothing else to do. They did try to get Sissy Spacek back. They tried hard to get her a role in this movie. Oh, really? Wow. She's dead. Well, she, she is in the movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, not Sissy SpaceX. He's quite alive and, and with us today. No, Carrie is dead, and yet they were going to have Sissy SpaceX in the movie. Sissy SpaceX said, absolutely not. You can't use any footage of me. I'm not doing any scenes. There's no way. Absolutely not. Well, they got footage of her because she's here. That is completely due to the persistence of the director, who, despite everyone, including Sissy SpaceX, saying, I'm never going to give you permission, edited it in, took it to Sissy SpaceX, and got her to sign off. But what, They add a couple zeros to a check? <laughs> that may be the subtext behind it. But yeah, they tried to get Sissy SpaceX back. Instead, yeah, the only returning character, Amy Irving. You could have gotten Travolta, right? He might have survived that explosion. <laughs> Yeah, but you couldn't have gotten him in 99. He was a star again. Pulp Fiction had actually made him a name recognizable. You could have gotten him for the 15th anniversary, back when he was making Look Who's Talking 3 and Sing and all of that. <laughs> he would have been grateful to have Carrie, too. But by 1999, no, he was nominated for Oscars again. He was commissioning high salaries. He was untouchable. Yeah, thinking about movies the way we must, because this is now playing, even though I hadn't seen this, I'm wondering, okay, where are they going to go? Uh, there's two ways I could see. One, maybe there was some kind of transfer of power to the Sue character from that dream, that touch on her arm. Or there was just the mention that lots of people have telekinesis and we just visit some other random person. I don't know if I was curious where they're going to go in the rage, but I, I was trying to figure it out as we got into this film. Oh, I was curious. I mean, Stuart mentioned last show that I did see this. I saw this, but this was in a period where if there was a horror movie in the theaters, I went. Christmas Day, who was in the audience for the faculty? Only me. <laughs> Disturbing Behavior, I was there. Urban Legend, Jeepers Creepers, Wishmaster. If it was horror, I was in the theater. And then The Rage Carry 2 came out. <laughs> and I said, I'll wait for video. Oh, you didn't see it in theater. I did not see this in theaters. I looked at the trailer and I went, that looks goddamn ridiculous. Carrie's dead. Who's this barbed wire tattooed brunette? The morbid curiosity made me have to see this because I wanted to know how they continued the story. But I did not go to theaters for the rage Carrie too. And I was way out of horror movies at this point. I, I, I was vaguely aware that it was coming out. It looked preposterous. I didn't even go see Scream movies. So, of course, I wasn't going to see this. And it's worth pointing out, we're making an incredible jump here. Because we're doing our Stephen King retrospective in the chronological order in which the books were released, Carrie 2 is coming out after most of the Stephen King movie adaptations have hit screen. So we have already had everything. I mean, from Shawshank Redemption, Running Man, every horror book that he had written, all of them had hit screens by 1999. This movie is dead last as far as getting out there. And it, it, for us, it's just another week to talk about it. But here, a lot of King has been consumed by the general public. And he seemed to be on a downward spiral. I mean, he had his big thing in the 80s, but in the early 90s, it felt like he had a second resurgence on television with The Stand and Shawshank Redemption and theaters. It really felt like there was a renaissance of King in the 90s that 
was really going downhill because after The Stand, we went to some other TV movies. The Second Shining that we'll be talking about later this year. Yes, yes. The one I haven't been able to sit through, but will for our <laughs> listeners. Yes. And Carrie, boy, if you want to talk about a property that was sullied, I think that maybe the reason we didn't get this sequel much sooner is because they had tried to mount it as a musical on Broadway. It's actually one of the most notorious bombs. It may still be the biggest money loser in Broadway history. It, it played for three days. But what, what about Carrie Scream's musical, Broadway musical? Not only that, but it's the original screenwriter from the movie who was mounting the production. He wrote the book and he got the gym teacher from the Brian De Palma movie to play the Piper Laurie character on stage. Betty Buckley is a big Broadway singer and star, and she had originated the role in Cats. She sang Memory, so of course she's going to be able to do the th same thing for Carrie. I do know someone that actually saw this. Believe it or not, I don't know how, but they were in New York during those three days that it played, and they did actually see the production and told me a little bit about it. I mean, there's a hoedown when they <laughs> slaughter the pigs. When Carrie gets ready for prom, she psychically makes her dress dance with her. It was on wires, so they do like a little two-step together. I mean, it sounded all kinds of crazy, but they insist it wasn't that bad. And the soundtrack's available on iTunes for those who just want to hear the music. <laughs> this just seems like all kinds of stupid. So Carrie, I, I think it was a sullied property. I think with Sissy Spacex not showing interest in replaying the character, with horror kind of dying in the early 90s, with a musical in the late 80s kind of ruining her rep, I can see why this sat on a shelf for 23 years, and I can see why it would come back in a post-green world. I'm just not sure that it's going to work. Well, what the director said, Kat Shea, who we're actually talking about in our donation series. I know, I can't believe the serendipity of this, but she's actually an actress in Psycho 3, just released last Friday. Yes, she's more well-known for directing probably Poison Ivy, unless you're a big fan of the Stripped to Kill series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking- wait, oh, Poison Ivy was Drew Barrymore, right? Yes, Drew Barrymore during her alcoholic I want to come back and have a career phase. Oh, right, yeah, that was- that was just before she became credible again. But she claimed the reason Sissy Spacek did not want any of her footage used is, and this is a direct quote from the commentary, Sissy did not like her performance in Carrie. What? She did not like her, her Oscar-nominated performance. The thing that I was up on a soapbox screaming about last week is an embarrassment to her? That's what, according to Kat Shea... I, I can see you being embarrassed how you may have looked. It's not the best look, but that performance was great. Yeah, exactly. You don't want that in your yearbook, even though you're dressed up for prom. But, come on. As far as, I mean, Icon, she's right up there with the hockey mask covered in blood like that. She's fantastic. Yeah, I wonder if maybe, this is me reading between the lines, there might have been some concern over the nude scenes. Like, if you sign off for rights for the old footage, you're not sure how it's going to be used. For all you know, you could have an American Pie pie-humping scene with him fantasizing about Carrie showering like it's Phoebe Cates out of a pool. <laughs> I see someone's been thinking about that. <laughs> With the cast in this Rage Carry 2 film, it's not far off. No, I mean, we do have Mina Savari and... Paul Finch. I don't know what the actor's name is. Yeah, Finch I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for the Eddie K. Thomas. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's names here. I'm, I was ha delighted. I presumed because I had no knowledge of what was 
contained in this film that we're reviewing this week that it was full of nobodies that no one had ever seen but you, Arnie. Like Emily Burgle? Well, yeah, okay. I don't know <laughs> Emily Burgle, but Jason London was in Days Confused. He was supposed to be a rising star. One of the kids is from Home Improvement. I mean, there are a lot of faces that I went, I know that guy. I know her. There's people that you know here before they're, they were ever quote-unquote famous. I think that it's a curiosity piece, and even if you might suspect the worst of the Rage Carry 2, and I do, <laughs> I wanted to know what it could possibly be. Arnie, I think that's your cue. Carrie White perished 20 years ago, and people thought the terror her powers could bring died with her. But that mental power lives on in Rachel, Carrie's half-sister. When Rachel was a little girl in the mid-80s, her mother thought Rachel's power was the work of the devil, a belief that got the mother locked up in Arkham Asylum? <laughs> Does she know the Joker? I think so. <laughs> she kind of looks like the Joker. <laughs> and Rachel is put in a foster home. Our story really begins many years after that in the late 90s when Rachel is in high school. She's a, what would you say, semi-goth outsider? Very goth, yes. Well, not very goth, I mean... Okay, no white pancake makeup. Hollywood goth. Yeah, yeah. All right. She's no stringy anorexic, I can tell you that. She's no Carrie. She's not a cutter, I mean... Yeah. But she doesn't run with the cool kids. She really only has one good friend, Lisa. But Lisa kills herself after her virginity is taken by Eric, a football hero who is part of a contest where the football players bed as many students as they can and get points for their conquests. When Lisa founds out she was used to get Eric four more points, she throws herself off the school roof. Rachel ends up bonding over a wounded dog with hunky high school jock Jesse, a sensitive soul who hangs with the jocks but has only slept with two girls for the sex contest. Noble of him. But Jesse's affection for Rachel upsets his entire peer group, specifically Eric and group leader Mark, who are pissed that Rachel turned Eric in for the statutory rape of Lisa. And Jesse's second conquest, Tracy, is furious that Jesse slept with her and then started to date what... Tracy refers to as an ugly outcast. The story comes to a head at a big party, as they often do in teen movies. Without Jesse's knowledge, Mark and Eric taped him sleeping with Lisa, a tape they put on TV during the party. The embarrassment causes Rachel to unleash her telekinetic powers. Remember, this is a story about a telekinetic? <laughs> Killing all the students. She's about to kill Jesse too, but a sleepy declaration of love captured on videotape allows him to escape with just a scarred arm. Rachel dies in the fire caused by her mental powers, and a year later we find Jesse still lonely and dreaming of the girl he loved as credits roll. Yeah, so the reason why this is not called Carry 2 The Rage, but in fact The Rage Carry 2, is it's because it's entirely about Rachel, or Rachel. I, is that why they did the rage? I don't know why they call it the rage. I guess Rachel rage. They're, they're trying something there, but totally different girl, totally different scenario. Carrie is not popping up back here. I don't think rage is after Rachel. It was originally titled Carrie to the curse, which would actually fit with menstruation, although there's no periods in this movie. Yeah, all these people have long past puberty. And then it went into production under Carrie 2, Say You're Sorry, like all the filmmakers should. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you say that, but there's better filmmaking here than I suspected. I'm not going to say that there's any kind of Brian De Palma camera moves here, but in these opening shots, I'm seeing 
cameras on dollies. I'm seeing cranes and stuff. They have a really cool establishing shot where all the clicks are established. We have a, a wide pan of all the groups as Rachel shows up at school. I, I feel like there's some artistry here. You can't totally throw this away. This is not as bad as I suspected. I find that out al- almost instantly. This is not the nightmare that I predict. Oh, no. I'm going to say they had a great DP. An absolutely great DP. A guy who'd worked in Hollywood for 30 years. He did made other King movies. Christine, he did. Yeah. And I remember liking that one. I'm very much looking forward to returning to that. But he was primarily known for working with John Carpenter. So I think they had a good DP. I think that when you talk about production values and things, this is a person, a director, out of control with style. We're going to shoot some black and white. Why? Because it's cool. Uh. We're going to do grainy shots. We're going to do dolly shots. We're going to do zooms. We're going to do pans. It's a person who has a lot of tools in their toolbox, but not the artistry to know when to use a hammer and when to use a screwdriver. Yeah, every time I went to black and white, I'm wondering why. What is the purpose? You know, when you do a certain camera movement or a certain effect, it helps to have some reason behind that. And I I just feel like there's no reasons here. It's just I, I could do it, so I will. No, no, I I do think there's a direct correlation between Rachel's anger and the black and white. It seems to me like they cut to black and white whenever she's uh, having one of her telekinetic episodes, or a lot of the time. But why black and white? Why not red? It's rage. I swear to God, they have this dog Walter in the movie. Love Walter. We're going to talk a lot about Walter. And the first time it cuts to black and white, we go from a shot of Walter to a black and white shot. I thought it was the dog's POV because dogs are colorblind. <laughs> Now, that would be crazy here, but, uh, you know, I think that it was a director who was very aware of the original and was trying to, yeah, dig up what could be done again. I see a lot of callbacks and winking references to the original without it being a direct ripoff note for note. I will say they're telling their own story here, for better or for worse. The Rage, Kiri 2, it actually ends up being more of a sequel than I even suspected. But at the beginning, I'm just thinking, oh, they're retelling Carrie with the crazy mother now going to the insane asylum, and it, and her name is Rachel instead of Carrie. Before you defend the auteur cachet too much, <laughs> I, I do want to poke one hole. In I don't know it's going to be that much, Arnie, <laughs> but, but before I say anything nice about her anymore, yes? She was brought in after the other director left over those wonderfully ubiquitous creative reasons. All the pre-production, all the casting, the script supervising was all done by Robert Mandel, who did School Ties and The Substitute. Ah, that makes sense, because it does feel like a story much more about schoolboys than it does schoolgirls. Yeah, so she stepped in at the last minute. She did hire the DP and have some say over these camera shots. But I don't think the auteur theory can be applied to the rage carry, too. Nor am I going to give her overwhelming points for being the next Brian De Palma, as if that's something you want to be in 1999. But I I will say this. My expectations for this movie was that it was going to be a note-for-note, shrill, horrible redux with a bunch of unknowns doing all the same beats again. It's not that. I'm happily surprised to find that they are trying to tell a modern-day story with new concerns. The shame that Rachel is experienced is not the same as Carrie. She is not the pariah that Carrie was. 
No, her she is a foster child. We, as you mentioned, we get the opening scene, which yes, I thought we might have a beat for beat remake. When you have a mother spouting off about God and painting the red stripe around the room for whatever reason, and the direct callback, she's dripping red paint on the head of the Virgin Mary. Yeah, it, I, I thought that we were almost picking up from the last scene. I was wondering if we were supposed to think that was Piper Laurie. I did find it weird. You go from this opening scene, which is effective for setting the mood, this paintbrush going around painting this red stripe. I guess it's some kind of ritual to ward off the devil to the police showing up to take the mom away. I don't know if I missed a scene there, but it just seemed weird. <laughs> Who I, called the cops? Yeah, yes, I don't it, know. It, and it's hilarious because the cops like, is your dad around? Like, huh? You've been there. You've arrested the mom. You're hauling her off to the Arkham Asylum to hang out with the Riddler and the Joker, and yet you don't know what's going on in this house. All I'm saying is, these are signs that the writing, there's problems with the writing here. Where is the father? Now, this is something that the writer of the first carry did as a favor for future sequels without even knowing, I bet. Because in King's original book, Carrie's father died shortly after knocking up Carrie's mother. He was a construction worker who died on the site while his wife was just a month pregnant. And King was very adamant that this is a female gene. The females are the ones who can be dominant. It was even brought up that Carrie's grandmother had pyrokinesis, her maternal grandmother at that. It was the female lineage that carried the gene. But here, we find out that it's Ralph White, and it's mentioned <laughs> in the first movie that Daddy left Mama. Papa was a rolling stone. <laughs> Not only did he boink Piper Laurie, he's doing this chick. He had a certain type. I want you to be crazy, curly-haired, and crucified. <laughs> in King's book, he did meet Piper Laurie at one of their crazy zealot meetings, so maybe he met this chick there, too? <laughs> I don't know, but you're right. Future sequels, we can meet all of his children. Who knows how many little bastards he has out there starting fires and doing telekinetic mayhem. And more, either he was young when he was with Margaret or old when he was with this chick. But <laughs> there's a good, what, 28-year gap between Carrie and Rachel? 23, I think. I mean, if if indeed the events of the first movie happened in the year the movie was released, 1976... Then we're in 1999, and yeah, I, you know, it's not impossible. I mean, I, I don't think Viagra was quite the thing in 1999, but he, he could have still been going. Who knows? He may be out there now. We may have uh, a new generation coming up. Oh, please don't give them ideas. For Hopefully you went to a sperm bank at some point and, you know, it spread out from there. We, we <laughs> could do a whole TV series. You joke, but uh, somewhere someone is writing down this. <laughs> I, I have a three. Carry three. Carry's army. Or just <laughs> carry on. Ooh, that's really good. It's exactly what they do. <laughs> That may be the theme for this whole King retrospective. <laughs> and here's something else that was brought in from the King book, the scene we talked about with the original film they couldn't get. Little Rachel is telekinetic. She's slamming windows. She's slamming doors. Again, I think it's cleaner to have it be associated with womanhood, but, well, they're going to do their thing here, so now it's just something that shows up when you're a kid, I guess. Well, they need, they need to establish that she is our Carrie, because otherwise, I wouldn't think it was her. When we get to present day, the one that gets picked on is not Rachel. 
It's Mina Savari. Is Mina Savari getting picked on? Mina Savari's not getting picked on. Mina Savari's getting laid. <laughs> yes, but then she's getting dissed. It's it's a little convoluted. <laughs> dissed? You're totally in the 90s talk. <laughs> <laughs> talk to the hand, Arnie. You can tell this is in the 90s. They got the ska revival music going on the soundtrack here. It couldn't be at any other time than 1999, that is for sure. But we missed the crucial scene. I do not know why they chose not to show us the breakup. But what we will learn here is that Rachel's best friend forever, they got matching tattoos and everything, got her virginity taken the previous night. She's going to introduce Rachel to this man, but... We see it go down. At another table, there's a group of guys, and one of those guys is the man that took Mina Savari's virginity, and the ringleader of this gang, the the real punk, scum, Mark, classifies Mina Savari, the beautiful, attainable object of American beauty, as a coyote date. I always thought she kind of looked weird. She has alien eyes. I'll yeah. agree with Jacob. And her makeup department is not doing her any favors in this movie. I can't believe I found her hot in American Beauty and American Pie and other American movies <laughs> looking at how she looks here. You do see her as the less attractive of the two. No, yeah, okay, but you would not gnaw your arm off to get away from her the next morning. I mean, none of these people in the entire cast, no one has that distressed, painful look that Sissy Spacek carried with her just effortlessly in that first movie. Everyone here is kind of cute. I mean, some people have brown hair and some people have primped hair, and that's really the difference here. <laughs> some people are quote-unquote goth, and that's what makes them outcasts. The beautiful people are the jocks and the cheerleaders. But uh, honestly, I don't think anyone in this cast has the fragility that Sissy Spacek had. Nobody here is ugly, so I don't understand what's going on when they're labeling girls fat that are skinny and calling Mina Savari a dog. Don't ask me why I've watched some of these films, but this, I got a Lifetime movie vibe off of this. I swear I've seen this before. Maybe they've done a Mother's Watch Your Daughters, there's evil sex games going on with jocks at school cut of this film where they just took out all the hocus-pocus magic that's going to happen. Because, yeah, here we are with a film about you know, jocks, you know, scoring chicks on how good of a lay they are, rating their looks. Carrie, that was based on high school torment, but this is just a totally different flavor to me. This this doesn't seem like the same kind of, I, I think you said it, Stuart. Sissy SpaceX, she had that tortured look. Here, it's, they're all beautiful people. The story here with the jocks and the sex and things, it, it rattled something loose in the back of my memory. And thanks to Wiki, I was able to figure it out. Do you guys remember the Spur Posse? Yes. Is this like Two Like Crew? No, no, 1993. These were a bunch of high school kids in California who used a point system to keep track of and their, of who they betted. And they got all arrested for s statutory rape. And then the county backed off and refused to press charges. And nobody really knows who they are because they were all under 18. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is a Lifetime movie. I think that one starred Zach from Saved by the Bell instead of Brad from Home Improvement, though. <laughs> Alyssa Milano, maybe, in, in the mix here. You know what? That's weird. I, I didn't realize that. But something about this, God help me, felt authentic. There was something about this whole storyline that felt more fleshed out than I would have expected in this movie. That it has a real lifetime now makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, this was big news in 93. I was in college. I was jealous of how much tail these guys were getting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
total wrong moral of the story. Yeah, you're that's from not it. the takeaway, Arnie. That wasn't what you were supposed to be thinking. But go ahead. Yes. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a ripped from the headline story, even though the headline at this point is six years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Six year old headline, but uh, yeah, okay. And in the original script and under the original director, Rachel was supposed to be wounded, introverted, channeling a lot more of that sissy spacek kind of vibe. Now, she's still a very attractive young woman, so I don't know how well they could have pulled it off. But when Shay was hired, she came in and worked with Burgle to completely revise her performance and go, no, Rachel has an inner strength from the beginning. And that's why we get the performance we get, which really makes this not feel like a Carrie movie. Or, I mean, I'm very curious to see in two weeks how they can pull off a modern Carrie movie because will they make her as meek in the 70s or are they saying in the 90s, the day of the riot girl, you're not going to have a Carrie and this is the 90s version of the outcast? I think they'll always be Carrie, but I do think that they've chosen a different target. They're making Rachel. They're not making a Carrie movie. That's exactly right. This feels like something else. This feels like Heathers. This feels like Cruel Intentions or something like this. This feels like a high school drama, but not about a pariah that no one could love. And you know what? I'm going to celebrate that. I did not want a note-for-note redo of Carrie with someone with a different name. I think, great. It was about mean girls last time. Let's have it be about mean guys. And if it was about a woman that had no friends this time, she has a friend, but it's taken from her by suicide. I think these are interesting tweaks to a formula that, you know, we haven't proven yet. This is the second sequel. So who knows what the sequel was supposed to be? I didn't know what it was going to do. So all of this is refreshing, I guess is the word. I don't know if it's refreshing. I mean, you're saying tweaks, and that's right. They're still taking the same story. It's still about someone who's going to get picked on and pushed too far, and she's going to get a revenge. I don't see a whole lot of creativity here. They've updated to 1999 instead of 76. It's lesbians, right? I mean, that was a 90s thing. It's that these chicks, they don't know it yet, but they're in love with each other, right? They got the tattoos. They tell each other everything. Uh, later, one even jokingly calls herself a dyke. I feel like that's what we're supposed to take away from here, is that what makes them outsiders, what makes them the pariah this time, is the gender politics of maybe their sexuality. I don't get that given that, I mean, what this movie is, is a romance between Rachel and Jesse. But is Jesse straight? That's my next question is we'll find out that the chick that's really voraciously sexual doesn't interest him at all. And he'd much rather hang out with this, yes, possible lesbian for his girlfriend than the cool girl. Given that he really wants to fuck Rachel and he's trying repeatedly. He? Yes. He's he's trying to better, but yet he's the sensitive guy. Yeah, I think he's a little sensitive. No, there's no homosexuality in this plot. I mean, I don't know what the thoughts are or the orientations of the people who made this that might be trying to put in subtle things, but if you watch Jesse's character, he's the sensitive guy. He's the Alan Alda of the football squad. Yeah, there's always one sensitive guy on the with the jocks, the one that's not going to go along with all the sex games. Even though, you know, what wasn't he losing? They at one point they're like, "Why is he trying to sleep with her? He's far enough behind as it is." Right. There's several people that don't be seem to be, do that well. Mark is supposedly the stud and clearly the villain. He is the Chris 
of this movie, if you will. He's the one that we know instantly and often we're supposed to despise here. But I don't know. This relationship that you're calling as the central here, I feel like it's as sexless as it was between Carrie and Tommy. They have an attraction to one another. I don't feel like it's sexual. He's trying to fuck her in the car. She says, bring me flowers first. He brings her flowers. They fuck. It's the climax of the movie, seeing them fuck. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, how no, much, no, how, I, you can argue all you want, but at that point, with that much blatant sexuality in their relationship, it's the it's the performance. That's why, because he doesn't seem like a horn dog to me. He seems like he feels guilty about the death. He feels guilty about the game system. He's behind in the points, and just because you screw around doesn't mean that you're straight. I mean, I think that it's well documented that many football players that screw around with women in high school do not end up living a straight lifestyle once they leave. I don't know. I definitely read here that he was trying to come to terms with something that his friends couldn't understand. Otherwise, why wouldn't he be with the hotter girl who was clearly into him that clearly wanted to screw him? It's what we're saying. He's sensitive. He's got a soul. He's not a heartless dick. Yeah, I don't think you have to be gay to not be a jerk. Yeah. No, 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 no. And obviously, I'm not saying that i just to me i felt like that was a way of explaining the outsiderness in the 90s it would have made sense in the 90s this would have been the equivalent and maybe it would have been braver if the movie went there but it didn't it remains subtext i'm not saying it's not there but it's not overt so therefore it remains a mystery but i i see a possible reading here I was surprised when Lisa killed herself because Mina Savari in a film in 1999, I mean, this is around the time of American Pie and American Beauty. I thought she'd be in it for the duration so that she's in literally two speaking scenes and then plummeting off the roof. That caught me off guard. Maybe she had a premonition of your future in that Day of the Dead remake. Oh, that's right. That was her. I I didn't even realize, recognize it as the same person there. But wow, uh, you know, and it's an effective death. I'm gonna give the props to the makeup guy. What that splat on the windshield? It's kind of graphic. It got me. I was unnerved. I was just wondering why she took her textbooks. She jumped <laughs> off with her textbooks. We needed to see the fight. I mean, we understand later. I don't know why you'd withhold it. We know who did it. We know that Mark is sitting there with the guys and that Eric gets a sad look on his face when he calls the woman that he was with last night ugly. So this is why he disses her. It's really Mark. Mark is the one that causes all the problems because he has this value about what's beautiful and not. It shames all the other guys into doing cruel and horrible things. And out of that cruelty, we're meant to believe that she couldn't hack it and rather than go talk to her friend about it, jumped off the roof. It's it's quite a leap. and with- Literally. Indeed. But it would only be believable if they gave us a believable dramatic scene in which he dissed her. But we don't see that scene. Yeah, it's weird. It's just a look. They glance at each other during lunch. He was supposed to have lunch with Lisa. He doesn't show up and then she jumps off the building. Doesn't he, shouldn't he be like, oh, I just banged you to, for this game or something? Like, there should be a public humiliation here. Yes, exactly. There should be a pig's blood kind of moment. There needed to be a embarrassment for her that was so shameful that she couldn't stand the thought of living another second. And we don't get it. It's a dark hallway that she's just, we don't even know what she's doing until she's up on the roof. Yeah, I I don't think it could be a public shaming i mean the big thing about this whole i'm just gonna call these guys the spur posse the thing with the spur posse is that they had to be secretive and when it starts to come out i mean they could lose their football scholarships the guy who causes lisa to kill herself is the one with the most to lose he needs the football scholarship most right 
So I don't know that a public humiliation would be the way to go, but I agree with you. Her suicide comes really out of left field when you don't get to see her heart broken. And then they want to call Amy Irving. I love that. Hey, Sue, guidance counselor, we need you. There's someone that just killed themselves. Isn't it too late? <laughs> I, I thought she was there to counsel the living, not the dead. I hoped they also called 911. Yeah, that's what the, you need to call the paramedics. You need to call the funeral home. You don't need to call the guidance counselor at this moment. But Sue Snell watched all of her graduating class die in a fire caused by her actions, ostensibly. I mean, she put the ball in motion, yes. Indirectly. If, if you go by the butterfly effect, it's all her fault. The road to hell being paved with good intentions, her good intention to elevate Carrie led to the downfall of everyone. Yes. Okay, I'll go with that. So don't you think she might not want to work, say, in a high school? Don't you think that might have some bad memories? I'm shocked she's still in the same town, right? This is still, later on, they'll go to the burned down Bates High School. So they're still in the same town that that first Carrie movie took place in? Yeah, they're all in Southern California. It may not be the town, but I mean... It's close enough. It, it, they're able to get there, you know, with a short trip. Ralph White couldn't travel too far for his next lay. <laughs> right. The old Bates High School is gone. This is now a Catholic school. Their mascots are Bulldogs. I never got the name of the school, but it's a different school, a different administration. But some of the kids that go here would have gone to Bates had it not burned down. Would she be so traumatized that she wouldn't want to do this? Hey, it can go one of two ways, but we do find out later that she spent years, yeah, incarcerated, coming to terms with it. It's not unlike Heather Miss Langenkamp and how she came back into the story in Nightmare 3, how she wanted to help people with dream problems after mastering her own. Or what they did for Jamie Lee Curtis. Remember, she went into a witness protection program and was teaching school to kids somewhere else. It's not a bad way to go. And I honestly, if I had more affection for Sue Snell or Amy Irving, this would be an exciting addition to the franchise. But I can honestly say this was one character I did not have any curiosity about what they were doing 23 years later. Well, she was the only survivor, right? Yeah, but if she's just coming back as a school counselor, again, I, I thought maybe Carrie's powers were transferred to her through that dream. I For her just to be, you know, now playing the Miss Collins role isn't very exciting. Yep. Yeah, but as the only survivor, I'm happy to have a better tie than a dropped line of dialogue that you're Carrie's half-sister. I'm glad that Sue Snell is the one uncovering this and having flashbacks to the other one. Yeah, agreed. If it must be the plot, and it's a way to go. I mean, I think that if I were given the choice of someone saying that they're Carrie, but it's just like a ghost phantom popping out of mirrors and climbing out of the ground to attack teenagers, or to go with the idea that the man that fathered Carrie has fathered another girl who's now in high school. I go with this ladder. I go with this. And yeah, I'll go with Amy Irving. What else do I have? But she's the one that is doing all the investigative work. Last time, Carrie herself was an active character. She wanted to learn about telekinesis. Rachel's not into it. She doesn't want to know. In fact, for the rest of the movie, she forgets about the suicide and everything else. And it all of a sudden becomes about how she wants to be in love with this job. Yeah. I got a real pretty and pink vibe off of this. Ducky? Isn't that the one with Ducky? Yeah. Don't you think Eddie K. Thomas playing Arnie in this film? <laughs> 
Arnie, much like Stuart, whenever it's used in a movie, is usually a derogatory character, one that you don't like. I've noticed that. Any Arnie or any Stuart, they're never flattering. When the best I have to hold on to is Corbin Burnson in L.A. Law, I'm in trouble. But yeah, Eddie K. Thomas, Arnie is the ducky, right? He's Rachel's friend who's like asking, can you get me into the cool party? And he, he doesn't have much screen time. But to me, he's the ducky. And that puts Jesse as the Andrew McCarthy and Mark is the James Spader, right? I mean, this is the romance. Rachel is Molly Ringwald, right? I mean, that's what we're going to watch for the majority of this movie. Honestly, it had never occurred to me, but those John Hughes movies aren't at the tip of my tongue. I I didn't watch them a whole lot in the 80s, not as much as some people I know. So you're probably right. I did wonder why Arnie was in here at all. It doesn't really make sense. If you were trying to set up a character that was an outsider... Why give her friends? You know, she was supposedly had only one friend and then she commits suicide and she's so grief stricken. Um, you do have another friend there. You just are totally ignoring him. He's the real Carrie in this movie. It's Arnie is the one that gets the real diss. He ought to be the one raging out. Agreed. Arnie on. But yes, it, it does become more of a romance than the first movie was. I was never convinced that Tommy really loved Carrie. Maybe he saw the potential when they finally got to prom. But here, we're to believe that Jesse, for reasons that I guess will remain debatable, decides that he doesn't want to be with his cool friends anymore, but wants to be with the goth girl. All over that poor, poor Walter. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> said you had a reaction when Mina Savari fell off the roof. I like was clutching when that poor dog got run over by the trailer. <laughs> I can't believe he lived. <laughs> I know. I'm like, thank God he was a big dog. I mean, they go to this animal clinic, this 24-hour animal clinic that has more neon than a brothel. It looked like a brothel. Again, they're in this small town, wherever this place is. But yeah, there's a 24-hour animal clinic. It looked like a truck stop, though. To be fair, I think they did a lot of things. You could probably bought a gun there. There might have been a diner on the side. They do go to a diner in the very next scene. I think it was around the corner here. But whatever, yeah. Somebody has a shingle out there saying 24-hour veterinarian. I just couldn't believe how much setup they took to introduce Walter and that he runs around outside and that she sneaks him in sometimes but he's supposed to be out. Like, that's a lot of setup for a dog to get run over. You don't even need this dog here. One thing I'm going to say about the Rage Carry 2 is that there's way too many characters. You do not need so many characters here. I felt like the economy of the first one should have been subscribed to. If her friend died committing suicide, that should have brought these two together. You don't also then need to have a near-death dog experience <laughs> to seal the deal. Hey, Walter is the most empathetic character on the screen, so you're not going to get me to say Walter needs to go. <laughs> and apparently cuter than Mina Savari, although I don't see it. <laughs> Poor Walter. I mean, she had Walter when she was a little girl. This is an old dog. Yeah, that he ought to have been going to the vet for other reasons. The fact that he sustained being run over repeatedly by a giant truck full of pigs. I think that was a callback to the original. They're squealing pigs in the back of this thing that runs over. He doesn't stop. Other cars don't stop. Jesse's the one that stops. Although he does have some influence by the fact that she's psychically destroying his windshield. <laughs> It's not exactly like a knight in shining armor here. He's he's distracted driving. She has to get his attention by breaking the windshield. <laughs> right. He's so mad about 
Tracy, his ex-girlfriend or ex-conquest. I'm not sure what she is to him. She's the woman that he just boinked that got some points for him. He's disgusted by the fact that she was unmoved by the death. So he's driving recklessly. They're reunited on this road. They go out for a date right afterwards. Where they bond over <laughs> love of Shirley Manson and garbage. Yes, yes, just in case you forgot this was 1999. <laughs> Although, he delivers that line, Shirley Manson, she rocks. Like his dad was telling him to say it. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's no affection here. The good night is not even a kiss. It's a handshake here. This is not a sexual attraction. Oh, well, no, this is how this stuff starts. It's the kids from the different sides of the track, and they ease into it. Yes, this feels like a very rote teen romance to me. It's definitely a romance, because when they touch, she gives him a shock. This is She has another power. She has static electricity. <laughs> I got that power! She shocked a cop earlier, and she shocks Jesse now. They can't even shake hands. A couple of fabric sheets should be able to take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> But where she really pisses people off is that Lisa took a photo of her with Eric on their night together. And that's enough. This photo, they're fully clothed in it. But that photo is going to be enough to incriminate him on statutory rape. Right. It's not a sex photo, which is what they should have done. It's literally him with his arm around her, smiling. He doesn't even look that drunk. So there's no case here. The whole idea that they're going to use this to prosecute. Okay, he lies and says he doesn't know her, but that's not admitting to having sexual activity. I guess they could have done genetic testing on her, maybe? She didn't shower the next day? <laughs> <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah, th this... What is this, Monica Lewinsky? I'm going to keep this for later. <laughs> I don't know. She was very excited. She was going to have a whole presentation to show at lunch, and then it just went so south. But yes, this is the device they're using to motivate all the character actions in Act 2. Do they still have those drive-up photo booths in 1999? Like, I know you still had film. Digital wasn't a big thing, but that seemed outdated even for 99. Those It was at the tail end. Okay. There was a lot of horror movies that were using this whole idea of photography and you know robin williams had one hour photo and i felt like a lot of slasher movies blair witch project all were about using cameras and kids filming other kids that all felt very 90s to me it was in scream a lot as well the kids would videotape each other but yes the photo mat was only a few years from being completely dead and i found it odd that rachel had a job i mean she's working at this photo mat and she just seems kind of together. She just has a, you know, jerky adoptive parents. And it's not like they beat her or, well, maybe a little, but it's not like they're terribly bad or abusing her or molesting her or anything. Right. They're just a little greedy. Yeah, they're bummed that they're going to lose their 300 bucks a month if her mom gets out of Arkham. Yeah, that's the conflict for them. And he's a truck driver. I think that's supposed to be shorthand for being a sleazy guy or something. But yeah, we never see him lay a hand on her. We never see any real threat coming from this living situation. It's not that terrible. Quite frankly, by comparisons to what Carrie White was living through, I'm not getting that Rachel has any of the rage that Carrie should have. But maybe that's not a mistake. Again, I'm glad that this is not a note-for-note -note remake. I don't know what's going to happen next. I gotta ask, you guys were well into Act 2. Did you know where the story was going? I mean, obviously you could predict with a big football game coming on Friday that it was all going to culminate with her attacking her peers. I, I figured they were going to do that much, but I really did not know what was going to happen next. 
I figured something was going to go happen with this sex scandal thing. You know, the cops are involved now. They're investigating the suicide. They're trying to keep it quiet. Again, I've seen the Lifetime movie about the Spur Posse, so I kind of know where this is going. I did not remember this movie from when I saw it back in 99. My only memory was a flash memory of a scene from the climax of her decked out in barbed wire ink walking through a fire that was all i knew so i knew it had to get there i wasn't sure how it would get there i just wish to fucking god it would get there because this second act i said the last one had some pacing problems this one dropped anchor and sat yeah please give me william cat being fast forward rewound played backwards whatever anything than this second act <laughs> well, you, they're trying to emulate what was popular in the day. When the kids decide to do an attack on her, it's not to dump pig's blood and shame her. They call her up and say, what's your favorite movie in a Donald Duck voice? I mean, they're doing Scream. <laughs> they know that that's what the audience of today is expecting out of this. They may not know the 1976 movie. So, yeah, Eric's got his brass knuckles on. He's going to go beat her to death in the house. The movie takes lots of weird turns. I can't say that I'm bored, though. It sounds like you guys say it's misery. I do always wonder what's happening next. I'm not going to say this is good. It's definitely not scary. And it's nothing close to Carrie. But I'm not hating it. And that's a compliment. I'm wondering what's happening next, too, because it just it, it's not a good film. I'm wondering why it's happening. It's just taking too long to get there because I never really get the threat to her. Eric is coming after her with brass knuckles, but the rest just seem to be trying to do an intimidation tactic. And I'm sorry, maybe because they're gay, maybe because they're bad actors, but there's no chemistry between Emily Burgle and Jason London that makes me want to see them make doe eyes at each other for a second longer. Right. I wonder what's going to happen in a couple weeks when we watch the Carrie remake. It feels like so much of that original film, which they're redoing, it's about building up this world so then we could get to the prom and see it all go horribly wrong. Like, that's what we're anticipating the whole time. How do you make the film interesting until you get there? This film has that same problem. We just want to see Rachel get some rage and kill all the bullying jocks. It's how do you fill this and make it entertaining till we get there? I noticed how you've written off the movie next week at all. You're not even curious to know how they do it. <laughs> and what's funny is, Jacob, I completely agree with you. And that's one of what is often considered a negative trope of a sequel, right? You're just going to do more of like the climax of the last one. You're going to lose the character development and have more of the kills. But for fuck's sake, if what you're giving me is this, this wannabe romance film with this angst that didn't play when I was close to these characters' age and certainly doesn't play now that I'm not. Oh, Arnie, you did watch Melrose Place. Come on, it's kind of that. Kind of, but the problem is she's not outcasty enough. Yes. And you said that Mark is the Chris here, and you're right, Mark is the Chris. But I thought, from the way it's played up, Tracy was the Chris. Because Tracy's the one who's most pissed off about Jesse's relationship with Rachel because Jesse dissed, as you said, Tracy and went out with Rachel, which Tracy considers such a step down that she wants revenge. I thought this would be catty. I think it works better if it's catty. 
Well, come on, Tracy is the caviar to Rachel's cheese whiz. Yeah, by making... <laughs> I love that line, by the way. I'm laughing! I can't believe you guys aren't enjoying this on some... I'm laughing, not because I find it funny. Yeah, I really like the hanger-on friend. Monica is, I think, her name. That's always just there and just a suck-up and all. It just, I really want her to get it bad. That's all uh, I know. But I think they made a choice by saying that there's these bad boys here that are keeping the point system. They've moved away from the idea that they can make the girls the true villain. The boys are the villain this time. And so none of the girls seem to have the same level of odiousness and threat that this Mark does and his crew. And I think that's a problem because there's just something more misogynistic and less entertaining about seeing a whole bunch of sexual predators decide to victimize Rachel and not in a I want her to get even way, but in a this is just not something I enjoy watching way. Yeah, I agree. It's not very entertaining. I don't feel like they're nailing it. It'd be one thing if I felt like they were really nailing guy talk and guy behavior and were doing it as well as Brian De Palma seemed to nail what I imagine 70s girl clicks were like. I mean, we don't know, but I bought that world. Here, I'm not really buying this. You said that this was originally going to be directed by the guy that did School Ties. Maybe he would have had more success with this. I don't know, but it is crucial that we believe that this group of men are doing what they're doing and I don't. I think that all their scenes really fall flat here. And aren't there just too many? Doesn't Jesse have like almost as many scenes as Rachel here? There's the scene where he's talking with... There's a ton of scenes where he's talking to Mark. The scene where the coach asks Mark if there's a tampon coming out of his ass. The Yes, yeah. The scene where they almost have a fight in the locker room. Focus on Rachel. Focus on the main character. Right now, it's almost like they're both the main character, and this is why I was getting my pretty and pink vibe, because Andrew McCarthy also had some pushback from his peer group for going out with Molly Ringwald. You know, Stuart, even if they got the guide talk right here, I don't know if I want to watch a revenge story with statutory rape or sexual victimization going on. That's just... I don't know if I want to see that in a fantasy film. If you want to do a serious film about that, that's one thing. I mean, we talked about this with Kick-Ass 2. Is there a place for rape in that? It's tricky territory, and for a film at this level, this production, this isn't the film to take on sexual promiscuity in high school and taking advantage of girls. I'm up for it. I'm up for doing a different thing. I'm more or less with you, but I agree. It is starting to drag. Not because I don't buy the moments that they're giving in their own cheesy way, but it's seems to be not only have they forgotten Rachel, they forgot Lisa. They don't even have a funeral for this chick. For the rest of the week, it's all about football and dating. <laughs> I mean, nothing about the fact that this girl killed herself amounts to anything. Nobody seems to mourn her, including her best friend that has her tattoo. I feel like the problem is, is that they had the loss of virginity ascribed to a best friend rather than to Rachel. I think this would be cleaner if Rachel's humiliation had come earlier, that she had finally had sex, maybe at the start of this, and was exposed. Maybe the end prank that they're setting up should have been the beginning kickoff, and they did something else here for an ending. But a sex tape, to me, just doesn't seem to be the same kind of scandal as taking a, a mousy woman and 
publicly shaming her in front of all of prom. Well, come on. This is 1999. The kids weren't just sexting all the time back then. They didn't have their cell phones. I think a sex tape would have been a bigger scandal then. I agree with that. And also, I think part of the problem is this girl, Rachel, isn't a pariah. She's not really an outcast. She has a smaller, more unusual clique. She's not friends with this spur posse. But the problem is so much of this movie is setting up why they hate her. And I like it better in Carrie, where they've just always hated her. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to argue different that Carrie doesn't work in all kinds of ways much better here. I'm trying to take this movie as a silly knockoff, as a 90s teen film like The Craft or, you know, one of the lesser screen movies, something like that. I'm trying to meet it at its level of what it's trying to do here. But you're right. As the second act drags on, as the whole thing with the powers seems to have gone away. I mean, what? She's flipped out a couple lockers and made a couple spoons fall off a, a counter. Other than that, Rachel has not demonstrated anything that makes me fear what she's going to do. If it wasn't for Amy Irving, we'd forget entirely because Amy Irving is investigating. Amy Irving is going outside the bounds of what guidance counselors should do. <laughs> True, but then again, the gym teacher went outside of that in, in the last movie. Yeah, I would expect to see her use more powers here, even if it's just little things here and there to remind us that she has a rage building up in her. At one point, she sneaks out to go to a football game, and I figured, oh, okay, she's going to use her powers. Maybe she'll use it to help Jesse make you know the winning touchdown or something, You know, trip up the other team. No, nothing. Like That's what you would expect. If we're going for a goofy knockoff here, Stuart, then show me that. Show me her helping her man out at this game. You're right. I forgot that she had made a snow globe blowout, but you're right. It would actually be something more if she had used her powers to help him win. I think that that would have been a way to write it. But again, I think we're all in agreement. Nobody wants to see Rachel and Jesse get together. It's not a, a conflict that's interesting. It's not a future we hope for either one of them. It doesn't seem plausible. It's not a fantasy. It doesn't work. Amy Irving, however, the holdover from the last movie, I'm really curious as to what her plot is. As this love is unfolding and the corpse of Lisa is rotting away and no one is acknowledging it, Amy Irving is deciding to find the biological mother of Rachel back at Arkham Asylum. And for reasons I still do not understand, thinks that she needs to break her out of the nuthouse. This is a huge jump. I don't get it. I also didn't know you could break people out of uh, institutes for, I'm guessing, the criminally insane. It's Arkham. <laughs> hey, the Joker escaped from there all the time. But he had more than a wad of gum. <laughs> she literally, a wad of gum and, hey, could you go get my purse? And while the one guard they have looks away, this mother runs past. It's It's incredible. I mean, this is not exactly the Pink Panther here busting her out. And I don't even see why you need the mom. No! There was a cut scene where Rachel visited her mom in prison, but in the theatrical cut or the only cut of this movie that ever will exist, it just seems like a stretch. I mean, I would almost think she'd want to go after Ralph. Yes. This was the real surprise, is once they introduced that there was a man who had the power to spread his seeds and spread the carry genetics to other people, I thought for sure this is what Amy Irving would reach. They would have to find Ralph. Are they saving it for a sequel? Why didn't we meet Ralph? I thought it was a mystery. 
I honestly thought one of the characters that had been introduced would be Ralph. Like, maybe the coach was Ralph. Maybe the principal was Ralph. Maybe, I don't know, somebody was going to be instrumental in diagnosing this whole genetic strain of telekinetics. But that gets dropped. No, I mean... The whole Amy Irving portion of this movie feels almost inserted from another movie. The little free association. Do your thoughts take the form of an insect? And then they go to the school, and it's still standing. <laughs> it's been well, yeah, no. They, just, they never pulled it down. They never sold the property. I mean, at least sell the property. It's got to be profitable. Yeah, exactly. It's land. They could build something on it. Another photo mat. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it it does nobody any good to be rubble that reminds people of the 77 kids that burned to a crisp 23 years ago. But I'd like that they're trying to make callbacks. I mean, I, it is more of a sequel than I imagined. I thought this would be a standalone adventure that was pretending to be Carrie. It really is connected to that world. It's just not connected very well. And by not getting us to the father character, a missed opportunity. What is Sue's agenda here? If Sue can convince Rachel to admit, all right, sometimes I move things with my mind. What then? I, she does mention a facility in Princeton that studies these. Do they want to make her a lab rat? I couldn't begin to... Sue seems crazy. I mean, she seems bad at her job. She's there to help her students find the next career path. And for Rachel, it's... Lab rat. And what role the mom's going to play here, I mean, again, busting her out to go crash the big game, this seems bizarre. Yeah, it, it's like, hey, we had a mother-daughter thing in that original film, let's fit it in here somehow. Well, why did we have foster parents? Why? It's just, it's all over the place. It's there's Yes! This is what was the real stunner. I figured that everything would culminate at the big game, right? Carrie was going to unleash herself at the big game here, tear up the whole school, the principal that threw away the whole lawsuit, the foster parents that were going to chase her down for breaking her curfew. I figured everyone that had tormented Rachel would culminate at the school game, and like the last time, she'd burn it all down. Then it ends up at a party with only the jocks, you're missing a lot of targets, Rachel. You've missed a lot of opportunities to kill people that were not kind to you. Yeah, well, and one of the things, Carrie, whether you are on her side like you were, Stuart, or you're not, you know, one of the things is you see this blind rage during that, you know, she kills Miss Collins. There's some debate whether she was good or bad. I, you know, I think a lot of innocent people that maybe didn't really deserve to die died in that. And that's part of the horror of Carrie here. It's so directed. We're just going to go after the bad people in this one. And she's so forgiving of them before then. Up to this point, their little plot is to wine and dine her. Monica shoplifts some expensive yes. makeup. And they're giving her rides. and They're even like playing a song like Two-Faced Liar or something like that as they're driving her to the party. She has no idea. <laughs> he, they get there. Mark's like, I'm really sorry. Are you going to forgive me for basically allowing your friend to jump off a roof and kill herself? And it can be made up by a smile and a margarita? Really? They're friends now? They should have started that before the brass knuckles. They should have just offered <laughs> yeah. her the drink first. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you did try to break into my home and beat me dead, but sure, why not? Give me a margarita. I'm that cheap. I'm starting to not like Rachel at this point. Listen, she she got laid. She's relaxed now. She's happy. Yeah, she was a virgin before that. Yeah, so. she was a little uptight. Jesse loosened her up. And it got photographed. What we find out here is that they're putting on game footage. It's not the football game. It's the game they've been having over Rach. Now that she's out there dancing and having fun with all her new friends, she finds out it was all for 30 points. Well, at least she's worth a lot. Yeah. 
Because I want to point out, she is a converted lesbian. Exactly. I, I That is the diagnosis they have for her. And I'm not sure that they're not on the right track. But she doesn't identify that way. And anyway, you slice it. It's an incredibly cruel, horrible thing to do. But is this what would really set her off? I don't know. It just does not feel like pig's blood. I remember high school very well. And something like this would feel fatal. This would feel like there's no coming back from it. The, you could... I mean, as an adult, you realize how temporary high school is and that it all does pass. But in the moment, this would feel like I could just, I've had moments in my high school life. You feel vertigo, like the floor is falling out from under you. And how could you ever go back to school? How could you ever face them? It's no pig's blood, though. It really isn't pig's blood. It's not the whole school either. Most of the people at the party, they're swing dancing. I mean, it is the 99. Again, yeah, yeah, very 90s, that swing revival. Yeah, so they're not even paying any attention. Even though there's a porno on the screen, they're not even looking at it. And let me be clear. I'm not saying that she shouldn't be mad about it. I'm trying to say as filmmakers, as storytellers, as people that are trying to concoct the worst possible thing that they could, if the original Carrie started with her embarrassment over her period and ended with her being smeared in pig's blood, I feel like the opening of this should have been the taking of her virginity and the conclusion being about it all being a lie. I think you needed to believe that Jesse was in on it in order for it to really sting. That he's innocent, that they try to give him an out here, that he's a romantic that didn't really want to hurt her, that had no idea what they were plotting, that he was had no idea that Tracy was taking him off to be seduced when she's like, oh, your car's vandalized? Well, why don't we go home and I'll change outfit? Let me conveniently drop the spray paint after yeah. you're in my car. <laughs> Let me not ditch it ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the choice that I would have made if I could make one thing different about the Rage Carry 2, and only one... I I would say that you make Jesse the real evil. You wouldn't suspect it, and it would be quite painful to find out that he had taken her virginity for a point. I, I agree, if for no other reason than also that would mean there would be less on-screen Jesse time because he'd have to be more mysterious. Yes. I don't know what the state of horror films were in 99, but it, making Jesse the bad guy, I mean, I think that is a much more cynical, a darker take. Again, going back to that original carry where even Miss Collins dies, even the teachers die. I, I think that's a dark place to go that even innocent people die having, you know, this guy that you thought was the nice guy and was sticking up for Rachel. He's actually worse than Mark. He set her up. I, I think that's a dark place to go. I don't know if horror movies of this type were going there in 99, but... Oh, they went there in 96. Scream. Scream did yeah. that exact thing. Spoiler alert. No, everyone liked Drew Barrymore. Nobody wanted to see her gutted. No, I'm talking about the boyfriend being the ultimate betrayer. Oh, yes, I see. Yeah, the, who the who the culprit yeah. was as well. Yes, I agree. Yes, it, we would have enjoyed a bigger surprise, I think, than what we get here. And you're right. When the rage comes, the ones that get taken out are only the most despicable characters. The mom escapes. The Okay, uh, Amy Irving gets it. That was a surprise. I got to yeah. say, was not expecting it, although maybe I should. And she gets it by accident. Rachel isn't even trying. She's spearing one of the guys. And at this point, they've all shaved their heads. So all the guys are indistinguishable to me. I agree. I have no idea who is who. Once you, yeah, once you took it all away, it's like, okay, that's the slightly chubby guy with the shaved head versus the not slightly chubby guy with the shaved head. 
I think it was Monica's boyfriend. He was one of the sub guys. He really didn't have much of a part. I think he was the one that told Eric not to use the brass knuckles. Yeah, but he gets impaled through the head and Amy Irving just happens to be on the other side. I'd like to know which part of her power allows her to self-tattoo. I don't know, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> I was getting a real Return of the Living Dead 3 vibe off of this. You know, there they had the goth punker chick with all the piercings, you know, the sadomasochism. Now we're getting the tattoos. Again, very 90s stuff going on. I was getting a Return of the Living Dead 3 vibe, too, in that so much of this felt MPAA edited and jump cut because around the gore. I'm with you. Same thing. Same reference. It started when the English class, they brought up Romeo and Juliet. I was thinking about that movie a lot. The low budget, the not as bad as I thought it would be. And yeah, this kind of cool goth out that she has at the, whatever you want to say about Rachel not living up to Carrie's rage. I do think she kind of looks cool here taking them all out. Really? You like that tattoo going around? I, I don't <laughs> no, know. Yeah, it, I'm totally. laughing. I'm laughing for all the wrong reasons. Oh, sure. It's funny. It's campy. Don't get me wrong. It's it's not the same effect, but I'm enjoying it. I also like that her weapon of choice is the compact disc. Um, yes. For the real young listeners, that used to be how we'd listen to music. <laughs> <laughs> and, for, and for the older people with good memories, that was also a death that was used in I Come in Peace. And Hellraiser 3. Oh, was yep. it? Well, we'll find out, I guess, one day. But, yeah, the CD of death, and, of course, there has to be a fire, because there's always a fire. You, Stuart, came up with the idea of if Jesse was in on it. I like that. You know what I also would have liked, though, is Jesse is innocent, but she kills him anyway. Yeah. Her rage takes her to that. You know, you want to do Romeo and Juliet, have her kill him, and then find on that tape that he was innocent and kill herself in remorse i thought for sure they were setting something like that up why do you mention romeo and juliet in the beginning of a film if you're not going to set up some kind of mistake that's going to end up causing your death well it does cause one of theirs it just should have caused both right it, it is not the irony that the william shakespeare play is and shocker here rage carry 2 is not as good as romeo and juliet <laughs> but is it as good as romeo plus juliet <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but if you're going to bring up a reference, you should follow through with it. I think that's what we're saying. I think it was used basically to establish the fact that Rachel was a character that was so cynical she didn't believe in love. And what we learn here in this mushy finale, and mushy is not the way to go here, is that she really did love him and he loved her. And so she's going to save him uh, as he's set on fire, throw him in the pool. At that point, she's killed all the guys. I do have to get some props, though, for how Eric dies. I mean, having Tracy use a harpoon gun and dismember him in the genitals. I did like that. If I'm going to compliment this film, that's where you're going to get it. Right. Although, again, I feel like it would have more impact if he was the one that took her virginity. I mean, it's once removed that it was all Lisa. And it's Lisa's tattoo that's kind of doing this. It made me feel like Lisa was the real power there. You know, like it was the tattoo that flips out. That's where the rage happens. It's her love for Lisa and how wronged Lisa was that makes her rage. Still, though, some good deaths as she has her rampage. It's just so little so late. And it's so quick now that she's killing people. I mean, the... Rampage and Carrie seemed to go on a lot longer than the one here in Carrie, too. It was better. I mean, that's for sure. And I, I don't know that I would have wanted this any longer, but this is not the finale that's going to save this movie. We can all agree. Even with the tacked on coda, that's kind of like the Carrie jump scare of the hand coming up from the grave. Really? The, yeah, the, the crumbling to ash, Rachel. It, again, laughable. 
To set it up for the listeners who hopefully haven't seen this, it jumps to a year later. Rachel's dead. Jesse's alive, but has a burned arm. He's attending Stephen King University. As we all are. (laughs) Yes, apparently. Getting a lesson on bad sequels. (laughs) And he has a dream sequence in which Rachel is there. For a brief moment, we wonder if she lived. But then she goes into some weird, fakey CGI effect of shattering. Really, you wondered if she had somehow lived? Because I knew this was a dream sequence. I figured it was a dream sequence, but hey, the hopeless romantic in me hoped she lived. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Jesse. Yeah, we really want these people to come together, even beyond the grave. No, it is sort of a a, a weak attempt to emulate a moment that you can't duplicate. I'm sorry. There's no topping the original jump scare, and certainly I don't care about Rachel or Jesse enough to feel whether they live or die is very important. All right, there is an alternate ending, though. Oh, good. I like it already. What is it? (laughs) I was feeling the same way, Stuart, until I watched it. Oh, no. It's almost identical ending. It's a dream sequence where Rachel walks in just like she does. But instead Mm -hmm. of just shattering, a giant snake comes out of her mouth and and jumps into Jesse's mouth and starts to choke him. Okay, you know what? I'll go with Stuart's gay <laughs> subtext if that was the ending. Yeah. And test audiences, including me, I wasn't a test audience, but we all agree, what the fuck was with the snake? <laughs> and so they cut it and did the shattering thing at the 11th hour. And if she saved him at the party, why would she regret it a year later? I mean, that makes no sense. If he had gotten away without her being able to kill him, okay, that's, that ending works-ish for me. But the fact that she concluded that he truly was genuinely in love with her and wanted to save him from the fire, uh, coming back to kill him a year later, who's going to take care of Walter? It, it was a dream sequence. So he woke up. Having choked, I'll tell you, or having seen Freddy vs. Jason and Nightmare on Elm Street, part of me wonders if that snake was the telekinetic power, because it goes down his throat into him, and then he wakes up. Maybe the, maybe Carrie 3 would have been Jesse telekinetic power. No, boo. I mean, that is the way to go with sequels, right? Make it a dude? Switch the gender? Yeah, I, 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 w- I was wondering if it was going to be Carl and not Carrie next time. So, Jacob, Stewart, how much do you rage against Carrie 2? Jacob. Well, if we're talking about a a scale of rage, I don't know if I feel a whole lot of rage toward this. I feel it's a pretty mediocre, bland, boring film. Again, going back to that original Carrie where a lot of the actors thought they were doing camp, I... You know, that's one way to go. I think that would have been an improvement here if they would have just done camp. This seems like a film where people are playing roles seriously that shouldn't be played seriously. This weird high school statutory rape suicide drama with some magic powers thrown in at the end. It's it's a weird film that just it doesn't work. The, the story's all over the place. The, the writing isn't tight. Not very entertaining. I was extremely bored during this, just kind of waiting till we got to see the rage. That's what was set up here, that I'd get to see some carnage at some point. It's really boring on that road there. I, again, when I'm asking for William Catt to be speaking in weird tape recorder forward-backwards voice like we saw last week, th- there's a problem here. So, yeah, pretty strong not recommend. Stuart. I wouldn't begin to argue that this is good, not by a green mile, but I will say this, it is a lot better, a lot better than I feared. And I guess I have the 
onus of having seen many of the Stephen King adaptations in our future. And I am glad, Jacob, to hear that this one doesn't enrage you, because I don't know how you would get through the years that are to come. It gets much worse from this. Maybe even next week. I don't know. But this is mediocre, is exactly what it is. It's not good, and it's not bad, and it's almost competent at times, but it's also really sluggish and never scary. And that's really its biggest flaw, is that it captures none of that tension and terror. We feel nothing for this girl when she's a victim or when she's a terror. I feel nothing for Rachel. And so it's it's a not recommend, but on the mild side, I mean, it did remind me a lot of Return of the Living Dead 3, and I think it has a carries the similar deficits and benefits of that film. So, whatever you thought of Return of the Living Dead 3, that's what I think of this. Well, you didn't like Return of the Living Dead 3, and... I didn't see what I liked in Return of the Living Dead 3 in this movie at all. None of it. Here's the thing. I have probably, even more than you, Stuart, seen what is to come. I think there's oh, there's yeah. maybe two films that are in the entire Stephen King retrospective that I haven't seen. And my big thing is, it can be a shit-tastic movie, but if it's entertaining in the mildest way if it keeps things going especially when it comes to horror if the body count keeps going and i'm having a good time with just mundane films like some of the middling friday the 13th sequels i'll enjoy it the death knell for this film is its lack of interest and not having characters that are even fun stereotypes it's just bland jocks, semi-goth girl, and this romance I don't want to watch because I've seen the same romance played out better in other movies. I do think that this is probably in the bottom 10 as far as entertainment goes, although maybe not. There is some of that really long TV stuff. Yeah, you you need to think about Mangler 3 before you're <laughs> talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, it's going to be a real testament. <laughs> This one was just a chore. I mean, it's no rave to the grave, but it really was a long, long hundred minutes of my life. And I just wish I could have been even remotely entertained. But you're right. Having no affection for these characters, having no connection to these characters, actively disliking the majority of the main characters, and not because I'm supposed to, but because the ones I'm supposed to like never prove themselves as interesting, it's... A solid not recommend. I'm neither weak nor strong, but a nice regular role not recommend for the Rage Carry 2. And I'm glad we're not getting Carry On Carl 3. <laughs> I think we can all come together for that sentiment very strongly. Yes. I didn't want them to continue on this. Sure, it would have been fun to meet Ralph White, but not in a sequel. No more of this. I mentioned last time that Carrie specifically is giving us all the different variances of the way that a Stephen King work can be adapted. We've had the classic. Now we've had the unnecessary, unofficial sequel. It's time for the remake, right? Not yet. No, no, no. No, we got some TV stuff, I think, don't we? But it is a remake. It is a remake. What we are going to watch next week is the first Carrie remake. 
Okay, I haven't seen it, but again, I remember you seeing it and telling me about it, Arnie, and I am not, not looking forward to this at all. Stephen King in television land, by and large, has always been lesser. I can't think of too many of the miniseries that have duplicated what has been done in the theatrical works. So already a strike against it. But a, a lot of his adapted works, I feel like we've got a lot of TV in our future. So let's get started. Let's find out what Carrie does when she gets to television. I remember watching it on NBC. I remember the last shot of it. <laughs> I remember incredulousness. That's all I remember. <laughs> and while we're doing TV versions of horror classics, I hope that you guys can join us over for our donation drive. Right now, we're at Going Through Psycho, and poor Norman Bates had a similar phase in his career. He went to NBC Television in 1987 as part of the Bates Motel movie. We're covering that this Friday. God help us. Bates Motel, Bud Court, Lori Petty, Jason Bateman, and I think what may be one of his first uh, movies. It's not movie. It's TV. He'd done Itch Remove, <laughs> Silver Spoons, maybe even Valerie's family at this point. Yeah, th I think both w the Carrie and the Bates Motel were proposed TV pilots. They were attempts to launch TV franchises of these horror characters. So it's interesting, again, serendipity. We're going to be talking all about it. First on Friday with Bates Motel, and then next week with Carrie 2002. That's for our gold-level donors, only available till Halloween. So we're getting close. It's been a long donation drive because we did a total of 11 movies. The six Psycho films are the gold level. And if you do silver or gold, you can get five Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright films, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, and then Paul and Attack the Block. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of NowPlayingPodcast.com. And in the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find us reviewing tons of other horror movies that we've referenced so far in the Carrie series. Halloween H2O, Scream, Friday the 13th, even the middling sequels as I called them. Find all of those reviews in the archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. You bet. And until next time, it's best if we just go away for a while. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. I liked it. I liked it. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear reviews and analysis of the original Stephen King Carey novel. I read about him on the internet. The internet. And come to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another movie review podcast in the Stephen King movie retrospective series. This is so far from over. It's not even in the same area code as over. You can also find more reviews in our archive section. Beautiful. <laughs> we have full retrospective reviews of film series including A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Friday the 13th, 
the Avenger films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. What's your favorite scary movie? Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Thank you for your support. I'd like your vote. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. To the devil with false modesty. The devil. (laughs) Now Playing's Carrie Retrospective Series is edited by Heath and Arnie. But you've got to cut it. No way. Don't tell me no way. You're doing it. Why are you still talking? Just, Just do it. You're doing it. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Maybe you should do an accent. No, don't do an accent. That's dumb. The Carry films are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Mama, that's not even in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Did any of you ever stop to think that Carrie White has feelings? Do any of you ever stop to think? Now Playing is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved. Thank you, Mama. You can go to bed now. I'm Arnie. The raging coast of now play. Coast? (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh god, what was that one, uh, the the students who were brainwashed into killing with, uh... That was the faculty, wasn't it? No, there was the other one, um... (laughs) Killing Mrs. Tingle? No, no, not killing Mrs. Tingle. The other one still, uh, with the the bald albino... The bald albino. Uh, this is not I Know Who Killed Me? No. Three? Two? <laughs> Seven? Six? Oh, uh, was it uh, Urban Legend? No. Um, no. Urban Legend 2? <laughs> <laughs> Gender Snaps? I'm running out here. I don't know. Oh, I didn't what see the this fuck one. was this called? It, it, it had one of those generic titles. Let me see if I can find it. Like, uh, like uh, Disturbing Behavior? More well known as a director of such films as Cop. Yeah. Of what? Of Cops. <laughs> There's a siren in the background. Oh, I can't even hear it. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just like cops. I thought that was. I thought that was just people chasing after people in mullets. I didn't realize anyone directed that. I just thought that was police brutality. <laughs> Channeling a lot more of that spit spissy. For her just to be, you know, now playing the Miss Collins role isn't very exciting. Yep. Good way to work the title of the podcast in there. What? Isn't very exciting? No. Now playing the suit. Now playing. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was thinking about this movie. (laughs) As her Anthony Michael Hall and Mark is the James Spader. Wait, Anthony Michael Hall? Not Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, What's the guy's name from Weekend at Bernie's? Marjorie just oh, met him. Andrew. Um, uh, Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy. The romance. She's wormwood, wormwood. Uh, Heather, Heather, ringworm, ringworm. Uh, uh, Molly, Molly, Molly Ringwall. Ringwall. Molly Ringwall. <laughs>
<laughs> wow, your your go to for remembering one of the biggest teen stars of the eighties is a disease. All right. <laughs> Blair Witch product. Mm. Product. (laughs) Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald. Ringworm, ringworm, say it. (laughs) It was in my head. (laughs) She'd want to go after Ralph. Ralph. Ralph White? Yeah. Yes. 